Well, good morning. Morning. Just a, a quick check to see how many people are going to be confused. How many people are here this week? No, I know you're all here this week. But who were not here last week? Oh, no, quite a lot of you then. Quite a lot. Well, listen, the, the, the first part of this sermon uh, is, is on the internet. You can go onto the, the church website and listen to it all in your own time. So we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and uh, last week we looked at the, the first uh, three or four lines of it. So just a, a very, very quick summary, because I'm not even going to get through the second part this morning anyway, so, so I can't use up much time summarising the first part. So we're looking at the Lord's Prayer, and the idea was that our Father referred to relationship and intimacy. You know, lots of words could be used to, to, to talk about God, but Jesus chose our Father. Who art in heaven is positional. We're looking at the idea of God uh, looking over us and the fact that He's alive. It's a, it's a, a risen, a risen God, a risen Savior, risen Lord that we serve. Hallowed be Thy name. We're focusing that the, the actual words they were asking us to hallow His name, not hallow God. Which is a good thing to do. But we're not against that. But the Lord's Prayer tells us to hallow His name. We looked into what his name meant, the different variations of that. But it goes way beyond blasphemy. But blasphemy should offend us. It should hit us here somewhere. You know, the oh my God culture that we seem to see all over the world should offend us. By people who have got no relationship with God. We should be hallowing his name. And then last week we looked at thy kingdom come. We didn't get very far, did we? We looked at thy kingdom come. And we discussed about what that meant uh, with the aspiration of, of his kingdom being revealed on earth. And so we're going to carry on. Obviously that took 25 minutes last week, so you can look at that in your own time. We're going to carry on this morning with the next line, which is, you will be done. You will be done. <clears throat> Here's a question for you. How often is God's will done? How often is God's will done? Always? No, hardly. Hardly ever. God's will is hardly ever done. I know that sounds incongruous. It doesn't, it doesn't sit well. No. You know, I was brought up with the phrase, you know, if the Lord wills it, it will happen. I was told that, you know, many times. My dad, who's a man that I respect an awful lot, used to tag on the phrase, the Lord wills, at the end of every sentence. You know, I'll see you at the Privy thing Wednesday, the Lord willing. You know, we'll go to Holden next summer, the Lord willing. And that, and that phrase was tagged on to the end of nearly every sentence. But let me tell you, it's baloney. The Lord's will is hardly ever carried out. The Lord wills that none should perish. That's the Lord's will. That everyone should be with him in heaven. That's the Lord's will. How does he do? Yeah. The Lord's will is shalom. It's wholeness. It's completeness. How's he doing? Not very well. yeah. The Lord's will is very seldom carried out. Why is that? Why is it that the Lord's will is seldom carried out? Well, you know, there's books on this and sermons on this, but we're going to get it in a minute. In very, very simple terms, man in Adam gave power on this earth to the devil. Man was asked to follow God's will. And instead of doing that, he chose to follow the will of Lucifer, the will of the serpent, the will of Satan. 
And in that, Satan received authority. He received authority. God did not give the devil power over this earth, but we did. We have authority. In fact, we have authority, but we are given it away. But then Jesus said to his disciples, the Great Commission, all authority and heaven and earth I give to you. So as Christians, with the power of God in us, we have the authority to continually carry out God's will. But the reason that God's will is not consistently carried out is because those people in this, as this earth, the six and a half billion people, not many of them are trying to follow God's will. But we have that authority to carry out God's will. And we don't even have to ask God. We know what God's will is. 99% of the time. We know his value. We know what he's, what he's aiming for, what his aspiration is. He tells us in the Lord's Prayer. But just to put this in a very simple context. My daughter Bethany and the dishwasher. And maybe a lot of people can relate to this context. Let me give you four scenarios with my daughter Bethany and the dishwasher. I can say to Bethany, Bethany, will you fill the dishwasher and put it on? And she can go, no. <laughs> or I can say, Bethany, will you fill the dishwasher and put it on? And she can go, yes, and do it. Or Bethany can say to me, Dad, I know you want the dishwasher filled and put on. You want me to do it for you? And I'll go, yeah. Or Bethany can just fill the dishwasher and put it on. Because she knows my will. <laughs> yeah? Now, which is the adult mature situation in this? Which is a childlike situation in this? Yeah, first or the second one. I'll do nothing unless my dad tells me. But I know what his will is. I'm not going to do it. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to ask permission to do it. My daughter fulfills my will without asking me. Will that ever annoy me? Does she ever have to ask permission to fulfill my will? Of course she doesn't. But somehow when it comes to God's will, we keep on asking God's permission and asking God for us to fulfill His will. Let's just fulfill His will. Let's just do it. We know what His will is. And in case we don't, and obviously Jesus thought the disciples were pretty thick, I'm saying nothing. He tells us what his will is in the next line. On earth, as it is in heaven. What's God's will? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God wants earth to be like heaven. His will is carried out in his presence and he wants his will to be carried out here. That is our job. Our job is to be people that fulfil God's will. People that fulfil God's will. And in doing that, what we do is, we allow heaven to invade us. Now, I read a fantastic book on that by Bill Johnson years ago, called When Heaven Invades Earth. Good title. 
So listen, there's a whole sermon just on that phrase, read the book. But that's our job, on earth, as it is in heaven. When we live in relationship with that God, and all the first bit of the Lord's Prayer, and we start just doing His will, not asking for permission to do His will, we know His values, we know what He wants, and we just do it, we do His will. We live in communion with God and do His will, and then heaven will invade earth. Earth, Christchurch, Southport, can be little glimpses of heaven on earth. On earth, as it is in heaven. That's his will. And you can really see that right now earth is not as it is in heaven. But that's what his will is. And our job is to achieve it. So, I want to challenge you, you know, that when we are doing this Lord's Prayer, that we aim to remain in communion with God so that we can reveal his values. We can reveal his will, his character in our daily lives. And then we'll be doing it on earth as it is in heaven. So then Jesus says, after this he says, give us today our daily bread. Now this one is pretty kind of straightforward. It is kind of, you know, as it says on the tin. But Jesus is saying here, make us on an ongoing basis, reliant on you. That's what it's getting at here. Make us reliant on you. Allow us to be dependent on you. Now, to be honest, for a lot of people that's not difficult. But for a lot of Western middle class cultures, it's an awful lot more difficult. We feel a lot more self-sufficient. We feel as if we actually don't need God so much because we're okay by ourselves. We can slip into that tendency. And this part of the Lord's Prayer is to make us remind us that we need to be dependent on God. If we think we're okay by ourselves, we're deluding ourselves. We're deluding ourselves. Christ says that I have come to give you life and life in abundance. If we want abundant life, we want the best of life, we, we need it by being dependent on God and His power flowing through us. You know, we're told in the Bible that that his strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's when we realise that our need for dependency in God, that, that God's power can walk through us, as opposed to thinking we're all right and cutting God off. <clears throat> you know, at New Wine, I went to a few different seminars, you'll be pleased to know, and uh, as well as playing volleyball, you know, did that before. Uh, and one seminar, one session, was a woman uh, from North Korea called He Wu, who was in prison for her faith, who was beat up for her faith, who was stabbed for her faith. And she revealed in her life just how totally dependent she was on God, to the extent that she couldn't speak to anybody, you know, unless God told her because it could cause her death. But she spoke to the wrong person. And she lived a life totally dependent on God and a spirit-filled, phenomenal woman carrying out God's will where she was placed. Dependency in God is vitally important. And then we get to this other biggie. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So it's really, it's, uh, it's, really it's a shame that that's one sentence, isn't it? 
It's the same way just can't just ask God to forgive us of sins and put the full stop there. And then move on to the next bit. Because that would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? If we could just ask God for forgiveness without having to uh, forgive others. But just in case, you know, we didn't quite grasp these words of the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew's version, he goes on just to push the point, doesn't it? These extra verses that Karen uh, read in Matthew. They're not there in Luke, but in Matthew he says, because if you, you know, <clears throat> forgive others your sins, then God will forgive you of your sins. But if you don't, he won't. That's a little bit vicious, isn't it? It's a little bit of emphasis that I didn't need. But it says that they're in black and white in the Bible. <clears throat> so we don't forgive. We don't get forgiven. If we don't forgive, we will destroy our relationship with God. You grasp that? We don't forgive others. We are destroying our relationship with God. And if you're a Christian, guess what? This isn't a, a picking mixed part of the Lord's Prayer. If you're a Christian, forgive. Simple. Not simple, is it? Dead difficult. No matter who it is, forgive. Now, on the discipleship course, we'd spend a whole night on this. And part of the teaching we do in discipleship course is to understand that forgiveness protects your own heart. Forgiveness protects your relationship with God. Forgiveness allows you to remain whole. Forgiveness is not primarily about the other person. You may forgive the other person and they may never know they've been forgiven. In fact, they may never know they've even upset you. You may not forgive the other person and they'll be none the wiser as well. But a lack of forgiveness will destroy your relationship with God. This is what the Lord's Prayer says. So come on, forgive. Not because the other person deserves it, like we don't deserve to be forgiven. Yeah. But because it's the right thing to do, to protect your relationship, allow you to remain in communion, and allow you to be the salt and light that we need to be. Forgive as God has forgiven you. And we all know that it didn't cost God much to do that, don't we? It was easy for God. All he had to do was die on the cross. So I'm sure it makes it very difficult for you to forgive somebody. But forgiveness protects your heart. And then we get to the, the last bit uh, in, in this version, a bit more than in Luke's version. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this, this line here is a biggie with theologians. Theologians have gone to you know, a different party on, on this line, you know, what it actually means. But I want to just expand on it a little bit. I want to try and just hopefully, you know, make you think again about these verses because it can lead to a warped viewpoint of God, I think. You know, each day we are faced with temptations. But the Bible is crystal clear. Temptations do not come from God. Can somebody look up James chapter 1 and verse 13? In fact, verse 13 and 14. Can somebody just stand up and read out James chapter 1, verses 13 and 14? 
You don't know where James is? I'm not telling you. <laughs> Just before Peter, towards the end of the Bible, nowhere near Micah. <clears throat> and we got James, God text, nice and loud, posh voice. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Thank you. So in black and white, the Bible says, God does not tempt anyone. So what's this verse saying then? You know, it would be crazy to think that God would tempt anyone. You know, what kind of father would tempt the children? It doesn't make sense. And thankfully, the Bible says he doesn't do it. We are actually asking God for strength and guidance to stay away from him. There's a big difference in the Bible points us out between being tested and being tempted. Testing and tempting are very different things. Testing doesn't involve sin. Being tested can strengthen character. Tempting involves sin. Abraham was tested. No sin involved. I, as a father, I don't mind testing my children. I don't mind Test them to develop them, to strengthen them, to make them better. I can test them. School teachers test children all the time. Look what sin involved in this is to improve them, to make them stronger, better. Trees get blown in the wind, and they get blown in the wind. You know, and as they get blown and knocked about in the wind, they get strengthened. The roots deepen, so they're there and they can take on bigger, bigger battles. So. This verse, this lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. This first bit, lead us not into temptation, would tend to suggest that God is, you know, leading us and we're asking him not to lead us. <coughs> Pope, uh, the Pope just last year, on the 8th of December, suggested that a better translation of this, of this line is, do not let us fall into temptation. And it's taken up from the Latin Vulgate of the 4th century, a direct translation from the Latin Vulgate. Do not let us fall into temptation, as opposed to lead us not into temptation. Do not let us fall into temptation. There's obviously a very subtle difference here. But that subtle difference takes away the idea in our mind that God is leading us to be tempted. James 1.13 says in black and white, God does not do that. So, we have a God who helps us to live the life that we're aiming to live. And we ask him for guidance. You know, we, we say to, to God, God, you know, help me not to fall to these temptations. Now, direct me away from evil. You know, we have, we have a relationship with God. We can call on the Holy Spirit inside us to give us a path that when we are tempted, we resist. You remember last week I talked about, or did I? Maybe I didn't. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Nothing of Wednesday night, actually, that was. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so you may know what God's good and perfect will is. 
You know, it involves choice, it involves discipline, it involves decisions that you make. And we have God to support us. But we are categorically involved in this idea of not being tempted, not falling to temptation. We will be tempted, but not falling to temptation and walking away from evil. You know, I've got a friend who, who knows he has a problem with pornography. He knows he has this problem and he spends time in hotels. And when he arrives at a hotel in the daytime with people around, it's dead easy. And he goes up to reception and he says, I'd like to disconnect my television, please. And the reception says, what? He says, yeah, I do not want to be able to turn on my TV and access the TV channels. But he says it like one o'clock in the afternoon. He said, I can say that. I can't do it at 10 o'clock at night when I'm in the room by myself. So he makes a decision, you know, and he said to God, God, help me in this decision. You know, lead me not into temptation. Don't allow me to be tempted. But guess what? He takes steps to walk away from evil. He understands that he's human. He understands that he's tempted, but he makes sensible steps. And this is what it's about. You making sensible steps in your life to avoid temptation, to avoid evil. But don't think that you will have nothing to do with it. Our minds need to be changed. Our attitudes change. Our will changed. Transformed. That's what word repentance means. Transformed. Turned around. Changed. And God steps in to do that. We ask for God's help. In this task. Okay, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll just summarize this. Okay, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I just wanted to say, you know, at the end of the Lord's Prayer, we, we, after all the stuff we've gone through, which in some ways it is slightly focused on us, Jesus turns our attention back to his heavenly Father and says, Listen, whatever we do, we do it for your glory. We do it through your power. Forever and ever. And I think about the last verse of Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright, shining as the sun, there's no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. It's forever and ever and ever and ever. Always God's power. Always God's glory. Always for the increase of God's kingdom. Yet it's God's kingdom that we're doing this for. It's His will enough that we're trying to achieve. It's His kingdom that's going to come forever.